Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Into Security, the Info Security Magazine podcast. I'm Deputy Editor Dan Raywood. And Michael Hill here as well. Editor, thank you so much for listening to this, our latest episode in our podcast series. And a big thank you goes out to the Trusted Computing Group for the sponsorship of this episode. So formed in 1999, the Trusted Computing Group has published over 100 specifications for advancing cybersecurity best practices and standards and created 25 certified trusted platform modules which have been deployed worldwide to protect against cyber attacks of today. So a big thank you again to the Trusted Computing Group for the sponsorship of this episode. Okay, so we're going to kick things off with a roundup of some of the top news stories over the last few days or, or week or so. And the first one comes from me, and this is news that actually broke earlier today as, as we recalled on 28th of October, which is that Experian is being threatened with a massive GDPR fine after acting unlawfully. So yes, that's the news that the UK's uh, privacy regulator has warned Experian that it has nine months to comply with an enforcement notice or face a potentially huge GDPR fine for illegally using customer data for marketing purposes. So that's obviously from the ICO, that warning. And they revealed in a new report that its action resulted from a two-year investigation into the activities of the three big credit reference agencies, Experian, as we mentioned, TransUnion and Equifax. The three companies were found to be trading, enriching and enhancing the data of consumers without their knowledge and selling it in products designed for business, uh, political parties and charities to target specific individuals and build profiles on them. They were also using the information collected for credit referencing in their own direct marketing and generating new information via profiling, the ICO said. The invisible data processing is said to have affected millions of UK adults. Not only were they not informed about how their data was being used, but the companies also misread the law to apply these lawful bases incorrectly for processing people's data. So both Equifax and TransUnion made improvements to their data practices whilst withdrawing some products. However, Experian refused, which is why it is now facing the enforcement notice from the ICO. So by July 2021, the firm needs to inform customers that it holds their data and how it intends to use it for marketing purposes. By January 2021, it must also stop using data derived from its credit checks for direct marketing according to ICO. Other conditions of the notice include stopping the processing of data collected unlawfully, deleting any data collected with with consent but which is now being used under a lawful basis of legitimate interests and clarifying to customers what data it holds, where it's come from and what it's being used for. So there's a comment that came out with the report from the Information Commissioner Elizabeth Denham and she said the information that the companies are privileged to hold for statutory credit references purposes was unlawfully used by them in their capacity as a data broker with poor regard for what people might or might want or expect. The data broking sector is a complex ecosystem where information appears to be traded widely without consideration for transparency, giving millions of adults in the UK little or no choice or control over their personal data. The lack of transparency and lack of lawful basis combined with the intrusive nature of the profiling has resulted in a serious breach of individuals' information rights. Under the terms of the GDPR, of course, Experian could face a fine of up to £20 million or 4% of its total annual worldwide turnover if it refuses to comply. So quite big news that came out this morning then, Dan, obviously that warning there issued by the ICO to Experian. And, you know, it looks like we're talking about a hefty, hefty fine should they fail to fully comply. 
Yeah, I'm not actually a chance to read the story yet, so I was listening along with quite a lot of interest because it's uh, it's all news to me. I've certainly seen some some people talking about it. And I think yeah, the, the, these companies they do hold a lot of data and they have to be quite responsible, and it puts an added pressure. So think back to the breach of 2017 that you know had happened to them. So yeah, it's quite quite a big deal actually that this is actually you know this is the action that regulators taken, and I'm sure there's some people out there will actually welcome the regulator's steps. You know, actually prove they've got that kind of authority to take on businesses and actually provide uh, capabilities to do secure ways of working. So yes, a very interesting story. And I think it's good to have sort of landmark cases in data protection that we can actually refer to, which is uh, especially within with GDPR now having been around for about two and a half years. Now, next story then, uh, this one just uh, we've covered actually in October uh, Info Security. Now, of course, we see lots and lots of phishing messages, which all claim to come from HMRC. They seem to come from all times of the year, not just in January when it's uh, you know, tax return is due and self-assessment tax uh, returns are due as well. One particular story which caught my eye actually was uh, based on some data obtained by a think tank called Parliament Street. They did an average uh, look at amounts of phishing emails and spam emails uh, actually collected. And over a three-month period between June and September, spam and junk made up the largest proportion of attacks, contributing 377 of a total of 521,582. That's been received by HMRC. So not just relating to HMRC, actually targeted at HMRC. So they got spam and email of over half a million uh, spam emails. And over 377,000 of those were actually spam and junk. But if you think about that, 128,000 were classified as phishing and 15,000 were said to contain malware. Uh, It's quite a big deal, really. And we spoke to Chad Anderson. He's from Domain Tools, who pointed out that HMRC has always been one of the cyber criminals' favorite organizations to impersonate. He said, what better way to create a sense of urgency or a desire to engage with the email in a potential victim than to pretend to be a tax collection agency, either threatening action or to offer a rebate? So these are actually going to HMRC. And he said it was unsurprising the attacker would try and cut out the middleman uh, and attempt to breach HMRC itself, whose systems are a treasure trove of personally identifiable information. We've done some webinars over the past few months and certainly some content around uh, DMARC and those standards, which I know HMRC, you know, shout out to Ed Tucker, who was one of the people who really sort of pioneered all that at HMRC when he worked there. They've been you know, keen to put out these capabilities to actually ensure that people know what's coming from HMRC is actually genuine, because as Chad said there, if someone were to be able to intercept their way into HMRC, we've seen some insider threat things. We can point back to the Twitter hacking, I think we covered in our last podcast. It'd be a really massive problem from HMRC. So they're getting these, but they're actually, uh, hopefully none of these were successful. Now, also another story we saw, which regarded HMRC, warned students starting university this year, they could be targeted by a fresh wave of tax scams. So actually they're warning also against phishing uh, emails. And they wrote to universities through Universities UK, asking them to help ensure students know how to spot a scam. In particular, some more stats here, HMRC received reports from the public of more than 74,800 scam emails, texts and phone calls. Of those, 41,000 specifically offered bogus tax rebates. Still a huge sort of factor really and a huge tactic that are being used. HMRC in particular were quite concerned about people who are starting university. Scared to say they actually were probably born in this century. So they might not be so aware of these, uh, of how the tax system works. Uh, They probably haven't filed a a tax return if you're 18 or 19. And also a lot more of the tuition now is being done online. So people are spending a lot more time online. Of course, they probably were anyway. But now, you know, emails coming in, it's something they've got to keep aware of. And if you're doing any kind of financial, whether it's economics or your accountancy, you might start seeing emails from HMRC and you might not be so aware of them. So HMRC, in a way, they're very much being targeted, but also they are being sort of doing the great job and actually helping students out. And just a quick comment we had on that. Uh, this came from Alistair Jarvis, who's Chief Executive of Universities UK. He said, the message to students 
important uh, to students. Uh, what is a particularly stressful time is to remain vigilant and question anything that seems unusual. Any student who fears their account may have been misused is encouraged to speak to university support services bank or the police. And so, Michael, I think you know, phishing has been a real prominent topic, and we'll cover that a bit later on in the Awareness Month content. But it's been a really popular topic this year because I think people have just become much more aware of this. But it's really interesting to see how many emails are being sent at one of the biggest targets for apparently for sent for well, they're not their fault, but being sent um, phishing an email claiming to be them. It is. I mean, HMRC, like we said, we've, I think the last few months, you know, a lot of scams doing the rounds, particularly, you know, in, in the current situation with uh, COVID, you know, we're looking at, you know, tax relief and, and things like that. Interesting, obviously, that it's so kind of email related because obviously it links very nicely into the next piece of news that I do want to touch upon, which it, it falls into the, the, the similar area, really. So this is a piece of research that, that came from Mimecast. Uh, with regards to remote workers who appear to be ignoring training to open suspicious emails. The email vendor uh, polled over a a thousand global respondents working from corporate machines to compile its latest report and it found that risky behaviour, for example, 73% of respondents frequently use their company-issued device for personal matters such as checking email, carrying out financial transactions and online shopping. It also revealed that almost all of the other respondents, so 96%, said they were aware of the repercussions of clicking through on malicious links. Nearly half, 45%, open emails they considered to be suspicious. This is despite the fact that 64% claimed to have received special security training to equip them better for the new normal of working from home. Nearly half, so 48%, also admitted to not reporting such emails to the IT security teams. Uh, Michael Maidon, who's Senior Vice President of Awareness Training and Threat Intelligence at Mimecast, argued that the corporate efforts to change behaviours are failing. With everyone's home becoming their office, uh, classroom and place of residence is not really a surprise that employees are using their company-issued devices for personal use. However, better training is crucial to avoid putting the company at risk, he added. Employees need to be engaged and training needs to be short, visual, relevant and include humour to make the messaging resonate. Awareness training can't just be another check the box activity if you want a, a security conscious organisation. So I guess, you know, the, the real kind of key takeaway finding and stat from this, Dan, is that despite the fact that you've got 64% of the uh, respondents saying that they've, you know, received special training to equip them to better security approaches when working from home, nearly half, 45%, open emails they consider to be suspicious even still. I mean, it's an, it's an interesting finding there. And again, it just highlights the email situation and the email threat. It, just, it keeps on going. And Again, it's, it brings it into an entirely different sphere, uh, sphere when you've got the mass of the workforce working remotely and working from home. Yeah, like I was just talking about with the uh, the HMRC, you know, warning, especially to students. It's nice. It'd be nice actually if they push those out to everyone. They probably are actually in in all respect to HMRC. But like you said, you know, there's quite a lot of people there. Who are, the, the numbers are quite high, and actually, people who haven't received any training. And that's that's. I don't think that's to blame for the companies. I think we were all put into lockdown at pretty much the same time. I know that there's probably a handful of people in the country who didn't go immediately work from home around the middle of March, and uh, you know, here we are in late October and we're still doing it. But I think a lot of companies have kind of retrospectively rolled these ways of working out and I suspect a lot of companies have started doing more awareness training retrospectively and I think actually that does fall upon the CISO which hopefully is really great for them because it gets them engaged with the company. Uh, we know there's some really really good uh, awareness training software and tools out in the industry which people can use so hopefully you know, this is actually being rolled out as well and I think yeah, there's a lot of positives to take from it and actually things are going forward but at the same time it's not good that people haven't received the training and like I said this was something we wrote about in October so maybe something that hopefully will jog a few 
businesses into actually some sort of course of action. Now, the last story we'll cover this time, actually, in regards to a story we actually broke about, um, well, I think I can count back about uh, 15 months ago, actually. You might think, why are we covering a story from 15 months? Well, that was uh, in July 2019, when a fine was issued against British Airways. Now, this was an intent to fine, to be absolutely clear, by the ICO, the second time we've mentioned them today, uh, against British Airways for GDPR failings. Now, originally, initially, the amount was 183 million. This was around an investigation by the ICO, which found that BA was processing a significant amount of personal data without adequate security measures in place. Uh, this led to a cyber attack, which, if I recall correctly, was the mage cut attacks, which involved the sort of credit card skimming. It did not detect the attack for more than two months. And as a result, the proposed penalty of 183 million was issued on the 4th of July 2019. And to give you some of the numbers of people or apparent numbers that were actually affected, the personal details of approximately 429,000 um, customers and staff, including names, addresses, payment card numbers, and CVV numbers, obviously heavily on the financial basis, of 244,000 BA customers. Also details regarding customers who are for the uh, their kind of executive club, 612 pins according to them. Also combined card and CV numbers of customers uh, for another 108,000. All the numbers together comes at 429,612. Quite significant. Of course the big story here was of course originally the fine was 183 million but as we reported in October this was actually dropped to 20 million. That's pounds uh, UK sterling. And the reason for that because this got a lot, few people kind of quite surprised because there's a drop of £163 million was because of the impact of coronavirus. The ICO said the amount to be fined was considered with both representation from BA and the economic impact of COVID-19 on the business. It also said as the breach happened in June 2018, before the UK left the EU, I don't think at the time we've even left yet, the ICO investigated on behalf of all EU authorities and as lead supervisory authority under the GDPR, the penalty and action were approved by other European data protection authorities through the GDPR's cooperation process. Interesting story because we actually, you know, we covered this in July in 2019. It's been extended and extended all the way through to uh, October 2020, where we are now. And I, I did a bit of an effort to try and find all the various stories we'd written. It's a pretty hefty 120-page document from the ICO. If anyone fancies reading that for us, we'll certainly be happy to talk to you if you are. Uh, I certainly got through half of it to try and figure out what the cause for the reduction of the fine was. Originally, it was issued in June. It was extended in December 2019 and then to March 2020 and then April 3rd, the ICO wrote to BA requesting information regarding the impact of COVID-19 on its financial position. It considered representations and again, this amount came down. Now, of course, we got a lot of comment around this, around Brexit and coronavirus. Together, a business is under immense financial strain. BA also praised by the ICO for making considerable improvements to its IT security. We've got a quick quote here from Vanessa Barnett, who's a commercial and IP partner at Keystone Law. And she said, in the grand scheme of things, it's important the punishment fits the wrongdoing. It's great to see the ICO continuing with its attitude of proportionality that existed pre-GDPR, bear in mind that its original fine limit was only half a million. So she's pointing out half a million to 20 million is a big jump and still very much focused the compliance minds. But still, 163 million, Michael, I mean, you and I would probably fill that in our pockets, but um, it, it's a big, it's a, I want to say it's a let off because let's be honest, BA and all the other airlines have had, have had a really terrible year. You know, we'd have been flying uh, all over the place if it weren't for coronavirus. I, you know, barely left my house. It, it's a, it was a big issue. And I wonder if just people are going to sort of see this as going, okay, you know, they've kind of relented on them a bit. 
Well, it's a good point. I mean, yeah, you can't really call it a discount, can you? Because I don't think it quite falls into that category, but it is, you know, a lot less than obviously was announced originally. Yes, as you, you're absolutely right, you know, BA and all airlines have had a you know really tough time this year, as a lot of companies have. But I mean, just going back to that first story, you know, the, the Experian threats of the, the fine that they've been issued with from, from the ICO and, you know, the threat that that could be huge and well, potentially huge. And, you know, it, it makes you think, well, so was the uh, fine notice issue out to BA all that time ago. And, you know, it's obviously a lot less now than it was. So I guess, you know, it's a sign of the times as well. I think you're right. It, it, you know, it is going to keep bringing up discussions around, well, these fines and under GDPR, you know, are they actually, is, are companies going to take them as seriously as they should be doing? You know, if it, if it turns out that what they pay is, you know, quite quite a small fraction of what they're initially informed that they're going to pay. So it's an interesting one. I think it'd be interesting to know exactly what the final fine would have been were it not for the pandemic. But then you could say that about a lot of things, I guess, really. But um, certainly an interesting story. And yeah, that's, that's kept us busy on and off for, for, for quite a long time, isn't it? The, the fallout of that uh, breach. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see kind of what comes of it to going forward. Yeah, just to look to move on. And before we do, we'll uh, wrap up on our news coverage and we'll just pause now for a quick word from our sponsors. Trusted Computing Group, enabling secure computing through specifications and open standards created by leading industry professionals. Okay, fantastic. Again, a big thank you to the Trusted Computing Group for their sponsorship of this episode. Okay, so for the remaining uh, part of this episode then, uh, we're going to reflect on what has been a month of cybersecurity awareness. Obviously, October every year is cybersecurity awareness month. We're just coming towards the end of October now. So by the time that you hear this episode, it would have just wrapped up and it would be great to kind of look back and reflect on everything that we saw going on across the month for the event. Dan, what are your thoughts? I mean, obviously, we saw a lot of content, a lot of initiatives around, a lot of people talking about Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Obviously, the, the key topic and theme this year was IoT, wasn't it, and connected devices? Yeah, I was... I was it's not something that ever sort of sticks in my mind greatly. I mean, one of the reasons for this is I think we do see a lot of campaign and awareness sort of weeks and days and things like that. And my, my always my question is always how much impact do these have on the long term? And you know, for Safer Internet Day and World Backup Day and Get Safe Online Week, I always wonder, you know, do you get one a good day of press and then, you know, where the national press take interest and then it kind of dies off by the end of the week or if it's if it is a week. So I've always found Cybersecurity Awareness Month a little bit of, a, of an interesting one to follow because you know they, I think it's led by the uh, Homeland Security and their CISA division now. So I think it's interesting to see they're actually they've done a whole strategy this month with different themes for each week around the theme of IoT, which we'll get to. But generally, I, th- I think it's been quite interesting from our perspective, because we've given it a lot of coverage. But I, th- I think it'd be interesting if anyone could actually gather statistics on how impactful it's actually been, both on industry as cybersecurity and wider verticals, and also on the public at large. It'd be a very hard sort of sample to collect. But I think it, it's good that it's done, but I wonder what the impact is. That's a great point. I think, you know, that public angle, I mean, Obviously, yeah, we work in an industry full of experts and knowledgeable people in security. I guess it's, you know, who really is benefiting from the initiative and how do you get that message out there? You know, I think getting the message out to the general public about cybersecurity is quite a different proposition than obviously the type of readers that we have here on the magazine, for example. So you're right. I think it'd be good to to know, you know, how impactful it is. Not quite sure how you go about that in the public sphere and getting you know getting that kind of data. I think the topic was a good choice. I think, you know, IoT and connected devices, you know, it 
it is timely and I think that it's definitely an initiative which is kind of gathering pace each year you see it kind of get a little bit more complex each year and there's more going more thought going into it and more companies are kind of picking it up um, I mean like I say we've we've kind of written and, and published lots of pieces around the various topics that have, have fallen into the theme this year I don't know I mean looking forward Dan I mean do you think we're going to see this you know cybersecurity month taking place every year from now until the end of time or I mean how where could it go next well, someone told me it's been going for 17 years, which I find very hard to believe. That but, is hard um, to believe, yeah. I know. Yeah, well, I think um, someone, um, I, I might think I'm correct here, I'm, I'm going to do it without Googling. I think Homeland Security was formed uh, in about 2000, 2003, as after 9-11, effectively. So that would suggest why that's been a thing. But then you think, you know, was cybersecurity a big thing in the early 2000s? There'll be people to just say, yes, of course it was. You know, they were working in it. But um, I just find it surprising that it, it's not, I don't recall it ever really catching on and there being the materials available before this year now yeah going forward hopefully maybe they'll, they'll, this will happen again in 2021 and following years and i like the fact it, it got given the theme i did find iot quite an interesting one for them to pick up bear in mind two of the stories we, we've covered today both sort of touched on the area of phishing so i would have thought maybe that might have been slightly more present but then you think okay well that people should know about that anyway so they pick something a bit more technical that's not given so much coverage and then i think one week i think it was week three which was last week was on healthcare security and iot so mm-hmm. unless it wasn't even iot they call it connected devices which i think is sort of the same kind of thing but i do i do find it interesting that this has happened and it's been sustained i think you know that again it'd be, it's hard to know how how impactful it's been without without data and maybe that will come out we don't know it'd be nice to see this kind of continued because i think if you just abandon it it's just it didn't really work so if, if it's sustained then hopefully uh, you know u.s government and industry will continue to support it yeah, totally agree. I think it's, you know, it can be a good thing. I think the intention's, you know, absolutely right. And, you know, you need you need things like this to, to, to kind of get the ball rolling, get people talking, get discussions into people's, you know, into minds and thoughts. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Obviously, we will always cover anything like this on the magazine. And, yeah, this time next year, who knows? Maybe we will see, you know, a new angle to it and it will take off even further. OK, so just to wrap up for the last few minutes then, uh, we're just going to reflect on uh, what's happening here at the moment at the magazine and what we're working on and what you can expect to see see from us very soon. So the key big thing is our Q4 print issue, which we're working on uh, right now as we speak. And, and that will be going to print and be published in the next couple of weeks. And you can expect to, to see that arriving through your uh, letterboxes in a couple of weeks time. Uh, it's a really great topic this time that we're exploring everything from XDR. We are looking at the growth of e-commerce and online shopping and, and how that needs to, how that could be made secure going forward, obviously with the vastly changed um, landscape we find ourselves with regards to shopping online. Got a top 10 uh, security predictions for you as well. Obviously, this time of the year, security predictions are always floating around. We've got some really great thoughts and some really kind of interesting and standout things actually in there from some really great speakers and industry experts. So look forward to bringing that to you uh, on page very soon. Yeah, just a couple of other things. We did, um, as part of Cybersecurity Awareness Month, we did do a one-off podcast, actually. I think it went out about 10 days ago as we record. So look for that on, on the on the general feed. It was just done with me and helped with uh, Mike uh, Nelson from Digicert and Bo Woods from I Am The Cavalry. I pulled those two wings. We actually did a session with them as part of our online summit back in the spring about IoT. So I thought it made sense for them to come in and talk about Cybersecurity Awareness Month. It's about the same length as this, about 20 to sort of 30 minutes. So uh, hopefully nice and easy to run through. Also, just a reminder, we always do our webinars they're always going on we've got uh, quite a lot coming up before the end of the year i think we're doing about one or two every week one for your diary actually 17th of december is actually going to be our end of year webinar now not only is this going to be featuring michael and myself but also editorial
editorial director, Eleanor Dalloway. Uh, we're also doing it on video, which I think, Michael, you and I, I think it's the first time we've done a video webinar together, certainly all three of us moderating together. That's going to be fun not trip over each other. We'll confirm some speakers and topics for that, but it's always usually quite an, a good one to sort of reflect on the year. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. It's always a good episode to round off the year with looking back at all the key headlines, the key themes and the key topics of, of the year. I mean, let's face it, we're going to have a lot to talk about this year. Um, but yeah, we're kind of, you know, pick things apart there and and look ahead as well to see what we think might be coming next year. We we'll have some great speakers joining us from the industry. So yeah, thoroughly looking forward to that as well. So make sure you do mark that in your diaries, 17th of December. Without further ado, then, I will look to wrap things up. So I'll say one last thank you to our sponsors of this episode, the Trusted Computing Group. Great to work alongside you. And yes, thanks very much for sponsoring this episode and for helping to make it happen. And without further ado, uh, we will end the episode there and we'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to Into Security, the Info Security Magazine podcast. You can find out more information on our news, articles and events at info securitymagazine.com.